0: Ever since the 1st tick of time, you brought order to a world undefined. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the
1: Genesis
2: West Podcast. Our,
0: our teaching team, team is made up, up of men, men and women. women who
2: love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which, which our, our community, community
0: responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith,
2: hope, and love. All right, I'm going to invite Rajan up to read scriptures, and um, it is a gospel, so you can go ahead and rise to your feet if you would.
0: You rise to your feet in a moment, because I was going to add another announcement, so just, you know, twins in five, okay.
2: Uh-huh.
0: All right, please rise, <laughs> please, please rise for the scripture, Oh. Luke 17, verses 1 through 10. He said to his disciples, hard trials and temptations are bound to come, but too bad for whoever brings them on. Better to wear a millstone necklace and take a swim in the deep blue sea than give even one of these dear little ones a hard time. And for the kids, a millstone necklace is like a chunk of concrete around your neck. All right, that's the only teaching moment I'll have. Be alert. Be alert. If you see your friend going wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. Even if it's personal against you and repeated seven times through the day and seven times he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, forgive him. The apostles came up and said to the master, give us more faith. But the master said, you don't need more faith. There is no more or less in faith. If you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, you could say to this sycamore tree, go jump in the lake and it would do it. Suppose one of you has a servant who comes in from plowing the field or tending the sheep. Would you take his coat, set the table and say, sit down and eat? Would you be more likely to say, prepare dinner, change your clothes and wait table for me until I finished my coffee, then go to the kitchen and have your supper? Does the servant get special thanks for doing what's expected of him? It's the same with you. When you've done everything expected of you, be matter of fact and say, the work is done. What we were told to do, we did. The word of the Lord.
2: Okay. Uh, So, uh, the reason the, the lectionary passage started with verse five and it just made no sense to start it there. I get why they started it there, because it is this great request where the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, give us more faith or increase our faith, uh, but it has no context. So I added the first you know, four verses uh, from Luke 17, one through four. And um, so Jesus is telling them some hard stuff. Like this is what faith looks like, he's saying. He says, if you bring hard times and trials on little ones, and little ones doesn't just mean kids, it means anyone who the system looks down on, okay? If you bring hard times and trials on little ones, Jesus is saying, you're better off killing yourself. And that's super harsh, but that is, that's what he's saying. And then, if someone sins against you, go ahead and rebuke them, We like that or not, depending if we're conflict avoidant or if we love conflict. But then, we don't like this next part, if they repent, forgive them. Even if it's personal against you and repeated seven times throughout the day, seven times they say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Forgive him. That's what Jesus just said to them. And that's why they said, (laughs) Okay, in order for me to do that, you would have to increase my faith, right? I mean, I'm right there with the disciples. I think it's a fantastic question, a request that I think Jesus should be like, oh, yes, finally, you know? You don't say like, got it, seven times, some jerk offends me, I will forgive them, I forgive you. Because it's easy to say that, even seven times. I could say that 70 times. But to actually release someone from having done it differently? Like, forgiveness is not saying it's okay that you did that. It's saying, I'm releasing you from what I hoped, from doing what I hoped you would have done first. I'm releasing that expectation, which if I don't release it, I'll hold it in resentment over you forever. So forgiveness is that. Super easy. If you bring hard times and trials on the little ones, meaning if you marginalize someone, if you just brush past someone, someone that maybe isn't as important as you are, (laughs) look out. So I think it's really okay, and I think beautiful, for the disciples to say what they say, and that is, okay, well, Lord, increase our faith. Have you ever been in a season in your life that was so challenging where the only, like you knew, the only way you would make it through is if God gave you something, a gift of faith to make it through for real? Have you been in a season like that? Rhetorical question most of us have. If you're a human being, you're going to get in that situation sooner or later and more than once.
1: So it makes Jesus' response... So bewildering to me. Um,
2: what he says, essentially, is, well, first of all, he talks about planting trees in the ocean. If you had just a little bit of faith, then you could plant a tree in the ocean, and it would grow. To which, you know, like, maybe we go, oh, yeah, that's so poetic. What? Do you mean by that, really? Like, what do you mean by that, you know? Oh, if you just had faith this tiny, which is insinuating What? You have zero faith, (laughs) well, or your faith is tiny, or you listen. Even if you guys had, you guys don't have any, even this much. But then I would go like, "Okay, I know I'm not supposed to rebuke the rabbi here, but like, I think we have a little bit. I mean, we've this is Luke 17. This isn't Luke three or two. We we've been around the block with you. We have a little bit, don't we?" We've done some stuff. We've cast out a couple of demons, healed several people. That guy made, you know, just a few fish and a bunch, just a little bit of bread, feed 5,000 people. Well, 5,000 men, a lot more than that. So there's a little bit. But then he goes, you know, and then he goes into this thing about slaves being dutiful to masters. And the message translation was the only one that was even halfway palatable. Uh, The NRSV says this. So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We've done only what we ought to have done. And then the text moves on. And the Greek word for worthless, like, you know, sometimes it's like, well, what does worthless really mean? Does it mean, like, that desperate in the sense that you just want to get something from God, and that's what it means? No, it means useless. And worthless. And so I honestly, like, I just as the teacher, sometimes I have to say, like, I thought about this text all week. It was in my mind all week. I studied it a ton, and I'm still mad at it. Um, I, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what it means when Jesus tells me I'm a slave. And a worthless one at that or not even that I am one, you should consider yourself one and then you'll get it. Like that just, to me, I, okay, so I have to wrestle through that and you have to wrestle through that and I'm gonna give you some of my thoughts on that and I'm gonna give you some, maybe some shovels to dig yourself a deep, deep hole with uh, and some ways to converse about this um, and then we're gonna get through as much as we can get through. Does that make sense? Anybody nervous? You can be, I am. Okay, question,
1: Um, this is an all play. Um, What is faith to you? What is faith? There's no, you know, just shoot it out.
2: Thanks, Anthony. Trusting when you can't see the end. I think that's a great definition. What else? Open hands. Thanks, Elizabeth. That's awesome. Open hands. You know what's the opposite? Yeah, Bob. Having hope when none is visible. Viking season. Okay. Um, I I just saw the Packers. You know, jersey back there. Okay. What? Yep. Assurance. Yeah. It's awesome. What else? Oh, Rajan said, it used to be believing but not thinking. And it is for lots of people. Yeah, I just, just this last week, I passed by a bumper sticker that said, don't believe everything you think. Ooh. What's faith? I mean, faith might be showing up to church like two days after you just had a baby. So that's, that's great, Maggie. Yay. What's faith?
1: Okay, pause. What's losing your faith? Ooh, Nate, forgetting you're loved, okay. Ooh, Will,
2: not walking in the same direction you used to walk. I really like that, that's good. Losing your trust. Thanks, Steve. Whew. Greg, letting lies speak louder than God. Whew. I like that. Life? Oh, okay. I, I missed that, but maybe that could work too. Letting, letting life or like the, the, the hassles of life, the worries of life, the circumstances of life speak louder than God. Both of those work. Someone else? Coming cynical. Thanks, Cassandra. Totally. I know, no, I know nothing about that. That might be my spiritual gift. I'm sorry. Nick? Oh, what a great picture. Nick said losing your faith is returning to your house after a tornado. Like the, the foundation is, is swept away. You don't know your reference point anymore. Yeah. What does it mean to ask God to increase your faith?
1: What is that? What are you asking for? Say it again, Jenny.
2: To ask God to help you to see things in a new way. I like that.
1: Prove it? Bob, prove it, God. Is that what you said, prove it? Yes, I love that. Prove it.
2: The easy button. Say more, Mike. Oh, when things get okay. So that is so I, I can see your wink and your nod there, but it's like sometimes asking God for more faith, I'm I'm really I'm asking for it to be easier.
1: I like that. Say it again, Peter. Okay, Peter, I love that. You're asking
2: for the power to be able to bear more challenges, to hold more than you can
1: currently hold. Oh, man. Tell me your name again. Billy? Billy.
2: And say your answer again. Combination of comfort. Being comforted through humility. Wow. Wow. Yeah, which is uncomfortable. Gosh, that's good. Okay, Rick.
1: To remove doubt. That's what we're asking for. To remove doubt. Oh, Carrie. Carrie said, sometimes it's asking to just I please don't let me go. What kind of question, what kind of describe some characteristics of a person that would honestly ask God to increase their faith? Yep, struggle, Nate. Desperate. Humble. Scared. Questioning and doubting. But hopeful exhaust exhausted, but exhausted and tired. yeah, hundred percent. John, someone that knows there's got to be more than I currently see.
2: Whew. Brian, you're thinking about something? Okay, someone that's self-aware someone that says. Gosh, what I think I'm supposed to do, uh, it's just not, it's not in me. I, I wish it was, <laughs> but I don't know how to do it. Like, if someone really were to tell you, like, you know, try to find a way to genuinely forgive someone. Um, and, and that's such a hype. Like, Jesus knows he's being ridiculous on one level seven times. I mean, can you imagine someone having the audacity to, to ask for your forgiveness seven times in a day? Like, that's so nuts, right? But it's also like, have you ever had someone that you're thinking they need to ask for forgiveness? How many times does that come into your mind in a day? Seven? Oh, man, if only seven. I mean, I'm thinking like hundreds. And what if you could have the faith to every time that person comes into your mind? Breathe in and say, I release you from having to do it differently. Um, so I want to I tell a story about faith from the scriptures. This is a just one of my favorite stories, but it's also kind of a confusing one. Um, maybe that's one of my favorite, but it comes from Acts chapter 8. And I do, I want to invite you to either pull out your phone or there's some Bibles in the pew in front of you, and um, it's going to be a different translation. I'm reading from the NRSV, but you can read from whatever translation you want to. It's Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26.
1: So the book of the Acts is Jesus has lived, died,
2: resurrected, and ascended to heaven. And the early church is trying to figure out how to live out the way of Jesus in the world. And the early church is very diverse. It's got Pharisees are in it. It's got Jews and Gentiles. And they're trying to, like, figure out life without Jesus, but with Jesus and the Spirit and all these. We don't have a theology yet of the Trinity. We don't have a Bible to read. We have the Eucharist. We have the apostles' teaching, uh, and that's why they said they devoted themselves daily to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, uh, to the Eucharist or breaking bread, um, and that's what they had. That's why. Um, but they didn't have a whole lot of theology yet. Um, or maybe they had better theology than we ever will. Who knows? But starting in verse 26, then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, And there's a little parenthetical note in my Bible. Is there one in yours that says this is is a desert road or wilderness road? You're starting in Jerusalem. You're heading south toward the desert. And we just read that like an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go down into the desert. Go down to an abandoned road that's dangerous Um, and to do what? In my Bible, there's a period. Is there a period in your Bible? Man, you got to hate periods, don't you? Just go. Now, raise your hand if an angel of the Lord has ever told you to go south on Broadway toward, you know, downtown. So right there, we have to, like, climb into a kind of understanding God that is different and most of us, most of us, not all of us,
1: but live there for a second. Go somewhere. And he goes.
2: So that's, that's faith, isn't it? A little bit. I mean, that's a, start, that's a start of faith. Going somewhere where you don't know where you're going. Saying yes to going somewhere where you don't know where you're going. And you don't know where it'll lead you, and you don't know the outcome. And I think, just parenthetical note, if we had that frame of reference more, you know, versus like in the wilderness road, like raise your hand if you've ever been to the wilderness, right? Okay. Keep your hand raised if you didn't have a cell phone when you were in the wilderness. Okay. Keep your hand raised if you didn't have a guide when you're in the wilderness. Oh, wow. Keep your hands raised if you didn't think you were ever gonna get out. Okay, a couple people. Now, we don't have time to hear the stories, but that's the wilderness. When the Bible talks about the wilderness, it's not you're not wearing your north face jacket. You don't have a compass. There is no guide. No one has their eyes on you. You've, you've left the map, and you might not come back. That's the wilderness. And the wilderness comes over, over and over again in the Scriptures. Jesus spends 40 days in it. Children of Israel spent 40 years in it. So the wilderness is really important. So when we read that someone's going to the wilderness, something important is going to happen. So he got up and went. Now, there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. So this guy is wealthy. And he's come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home. And he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, or as N.T. Wright says, Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it, heard him reading the prophet's Isaiah, and then he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now, stop right there. Um, Do you have any questions about an Ethiopian eunuch who went to Jerusalem to worship and is now returning home and oh, by the way, he's reading the scriptures. Any questions? <laughs> yeah, like Lifeway wasn't on the road between, you know, Gaza and... You, if you had your own scroll, you bought it. And you have an extreme amount of wealth. He's very, yeah, he's the head treasurer. Now, the Bible says a few things about eunuchs. But one thing it says for sure, Deuteronomy 23.1, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the temple of the Lord. There it is, right there in
1: Deuteronomy. But this Ethiopian eunuch has gone to worship at the temple. Did he make it in? We don't know. What we do know is he's reading
2: Isaiah. Why is he reading Isaiah? We don't know. Philip, on this road to nowhere, taps this guy on the shoulder as he's apparently running alongside the chariot at top speed. Hey, buddy. I hear that you're reading Isaiah. Do You understand it. Ethiopian goes like, no, jump in, please, so that maybe I could understand it. So Philip's like, all right, and he jumps in the chariot. Now,
1: you're Philip. Where are you? In a chariot, in the wilderness, with a, youth, <laughs> with a, with a eunuch from Ethiopia,
2: and you're about ready to have a Bible study. Now, I am nearly certain that, and the disciples pre-day meeting, as they were, you know, just saying, hey, have you, you, know, have you done your quiet times? Yes. Are you ready to go? Yes. Where are you heading today? I don't know. The angel hasn't told me. Um, that there was no training on now, in the event that you run into an Ethiopian eunuch who has just been worshiping at the temple, and he asks you to explain Isaiah, here's five things you've got you to say, because you've got five minutes, you know? No training. This is on-the-job training. Or as Rabbi Allen, um, some of you know him, says, OJT. This is OJT, which is really probably faith in general. On-the-job training. Um, so let's pick up the story because I'm running out of time. Um, he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb silent before its shear, and he does not open his mouth and his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Any, any humiliation in the life of a eunuch? Maybe.
1: Even that sound, the pain that a sheep would feel? Any, I mean, not to
2: get too graphic, but the dude is having some associations with whoever is being written about here, this eunuch. And the eunuch asks Philip, Are you guys still reading along in your Bibles? Don't miss it. We're in verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask? Does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Verse 35, then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus, verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And When they came up out of the water, verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. What did you notice? Who Greg did you say that? Yeah. Look in your Bibles. What happened to verse 37? Read look at look at it. Verse 36, there it is. You see it? Black and white, there it is. What's the next verse?
1: What just happened?
2: Oh, you do. Oh, praise God. How many Bibles have 37? Okay, Enoch's got it. Oh, it's in the footnotes. Is yours in the footnotes? Oh, yeah. Oh, Bob's, Bob has the real Bible. It has verse 37. What does it say? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Whew. Well, that's a stupid verse to leave out, don't you think? Oh my lord. Why would you leave that
1: out? Why would you leave that out? <laughs> what? Will
2: has the audacity to suggest that maybe it was added later. How would we know? Folks, there was thousands of manuscripts is how we cobble together what we have here in our hand. There's not one source. There's thousands. And so the scribes and the scholars have to comb through it so carefully and faithfully and prayerfully and to say what really, what agrees with one another, what through the Spirit, through God's guidance, what belongs here and what doesn't. And there's two schools of thought. You get to choose which school of thought you subscribe to Number one, by the way, the footnote, if it's footnoted in your Bible, some Bibles don't have 37 at all. Some Bibles have the the number 37 and then a footnote, and then the footnote will say some manuscripts add all or most of verse 37, which is what Bob read. So um, camp number one in favor of including verse 37. uh, Some people say that verse 37 was sort of nefariously removed uh, due to some Um, theology that sort of is trying to take out the primacy of Jesus. Uh, Some people point to the early church fathers like Irenaeus, who lived in the 100s, and Cyprian, who lived in the 200s, who believed that the eunuch must have confessed Christ as Lord because he was believed to have preached Christ as Lord and to become an evangelist, right? So the people that say the pro-37ers, that's why they say it should be in there. But really, most of the modern translations NIV, NRSV, ESV, you know, so it's not even like, so by the way, ESV uh, probably, um, well, let's not even make that distinction, but ESV and NRSV would be on two poles of, you know, an extreme. And they both don't include verse 37. So against including verse 37 is that like Bruce Metzger, he is kind of the Biblical Greek scholar, kind of the godfather of all scholarship, says that the phrasing in verse 37 isn't consistent with other Lucan phrasing, and it really is most likely an addition um, sometime later in the fourth century, fifth century, from people who really wanted to say, like, clearly he believed it. Clearly the eunuch believed that Jesus was Lord. So let's, let's, so it, it was, it's true, but. We don't want to be unfaithful to the original manuscripts, and so we're not going to, like, we don't have to put it in there um, for it to be true, because that feels like we're not being faithful to the original text as much as we understand, it. even though we want to put it in there. It would make so much sense to put it in there. It's not untrue to put it in there, but we, we want to be faithful to our scholarship about the earliest manuscripts.
1: So. Last question. What do you think about this little debate, and does it even matter? OK, Billy, say it
2: louder, because you're right on the money. I'm not even going to ask for other questions, other answers. Uh, verse 37 puts a condition on whether the eunuch's in or not or included. Verse 37 puts a condition on whether or not the eunuch, who is a little one, can be baptized, can be included. Now, I'm not going to make a conclusion, but I'm going to say that's a really important question for us and them to have spent so much time wrestling with. And faith is either going where God tells you to go, even though you don't know where it's gonna go, um, asking to be held when you don't feel like you're being held, or it's
1: a kind of certainty that you can rest in. Maybe it's both somehow. Now, is believing Jesus is Lord and Christ important? Yes. Does everybody get there at the same exact moment? No. Would we, would we as a church have the kind of faith that would say
2: to someone that says is anyone? Is, is there anything to prevent me from being baptized?
1: Would we have the faith to say, well, there's some water. I see your desire. Let's do it. Now, that's a tough question. Now
2: I don't know that there are any easy answers. But these are the kinds of questions that we commit to wrestling with. Amen? If we're a church at all, we're going to wrestle with those kinds of questions. We're going to look to Jesus to guide us. Even when he says things like, well, you're just a worthless slave. Fix my dinner, and then you can have your dinner. Ouch! Even when he says stuff like that, we're going to have the kind of faith to go,
1: could you say more, please? And I think Jesus is so good that he will.
2: Because the Spirit, Jesus says, will guide us into all truth, even truth that we can't currently understand. The Spirit will guide us into that truth when
1: we are ready to grasp it. I think that's faith. That's risky.
2: My question to us is, Are we willing to have
1: that kind of courage? Because I think that's what God's calling us to, that kind of courage. John 15,
2: 12 through 17, Jesus says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you slaves any longer. See, I told you he would say more. Because the slave doesn't know what the master is doing. And I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. And I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. Time, time again, Amen.
0: Endings are a place where life is real.